The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for the first half hour is Michael Easton. He's the president at Fellowship Financial Group based in Altamont uh, Springs, Florida, kind of near Orlando. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks, Jordan. Great to be here. So let's just talk a bit a little about your background and what kind of financial services you offer. Sure, I'm happy to do that. I'm a, my, my general background is in finance and uh, financial services. I'm a CPA by training and have been doing this for 25 plus years. And um, yeah, so my, my specialty is primarily retirement planning, investments, and taxes. And we're able to help a lot of, um, of baby boomers and business owners uh, to, to move into retirement in a comfortable way so that they don't have to worry too much about, uh, about income. And what are some of the big concerns you're hearing from the clients these days, particularly in such a low interest rate environment where they can't yeah. earn anything on CDs and money funds? What, what, is, what are you hearing to be their biggest concern? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there are a couple of major concerns. One is uh, is just outliving the money that they have. Uh, people today are, are very concerned about with longevity. You know, you've got a lot of folks who could very easily project to, to live 20, 30 years in retirement, unlike 50 years ago. Uh, so that's a big concern for people. And without having pensions, a lot of a lot of clients and folks that I talk to either have no pension or reduced pension. So that creates more of a reliance on Social Security and the savings that they have. Uh, so those are that's probably one of the biggest things that uh, that we have have to talk about. So they not only want to get higher returns, but they also want to preserve their assets. I mean, the stock market. Well, that's true. Pretty yeah. volatile. So, what what are some of the things that you do to help people preserve assets so they can have enough money to live these longer lives? Well, one of the things that that we do is we focus the majority of our area of uh, of expertise and allocations on investments that um, that generate income in some sense, and that can be in a variety of fashions. You know, some is income that that people need right away. Uh, others is are are strategies that we can use that defer income and um, and people need it for down the road. Maybe when they turn seventy and a half and they have to start taking required minimum distributions. Uh, and the good news is there's really there's a whole suite of of investments that would qualify for income generating assets. And people get stuck on things like bank CDs and and things like that. And they say, well, I can't make any money in CDs. Well, that's true. But I mean, there are all sorts of things that um, that are out there that are paying a decent rate of return. And when I talk about a decent rate of return, I simply look at a range between four and seven percent um, expectations of income, uh, net of our fees for managing the assets. How, how do you work? Do you work as a registered investment advisor and charge a percentage yeah. of assets? How does it how does it work with you? Yeah, we are a, a fiduciary uh, as a registered investment advisor. We're an independent registered investment advisor, so we're not uh, beholden to the research of um, of a bigger company or a um, or a big brokerage house or something like that. And then also, of course, uh, as a CPA, we've got a I've got a fiduciary responsibility as a professional there as well. So it's very much my passion to help people. Uh, to plan and and build a strategy that supports their goals for retirement. So I spend a lot of time up front trying to understand what the goals that my clients have before we actually get into how do we accomplish those goals. I find that a lot of people today, because they don't take the time to think about their goals for retirement, then they haven't thought about the strategies to support those goals. And when we look at the strategy, I find out that the strategy is actually in direct conflict with their goals, Jordan. So we try to help them straighten that out first, and then we talk about what does the plan look like to go move forward. 
So maybe give me an example of that where somebody's strategy is in conflict with their goals and how you would straighten them out. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. One of the biggest things that I find in today's environment is that people are invested for, for purpose, for performance, when they should be invested for purpose. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Performance is really growth-oriented, and I think 90% of, um, of advisors were, were taught to keep people in the stock market, to push them to stay uh, in the market for, for growth. In fact, I was talking to a lady just this morning who really had a gut sense that she wasn't comfortable with the, the high level of the stock market, and so she had a conversation with her advisor at a big brokerage house, and they didn't want to take her out of the market. They they told they tried to convince her to stay in, and um, and and that's a concern. That's that's performance based investing. Purpose based investing is asking the question. Well, let's look at your assets and let's look at your goals and find out how much income do you need in order to live comfortably in retirement, accomplish your goals, and not have to worry about whether the stock market's up or down. So let's go into some of the income generating investments you said in the four to seven percent range. Uh, what would be? Let, let's take one as a start that you would recommend to people. Well, there's you know there's uh, I mean as as simple as as individual bonds. We um, if we're going to invest in bonds, we invest in individual bonds as opposed to bond mutual funds for the simple reason that by owning an individual bond outright, uh, our strategy generally is we're going we want to hold that bond to maturity, or at least our goal is to hold it to maturity. Because if that's your strategy, well, then you have two important um, protections. One is you have an interest rate that's, that's, um, that's guaranteed by the company, okay? And number two is that if you hold it to maturity, you're going to get your principal back. Now, that's presuming that the company doesn't default, and there's, of course, some risk there. So you have to be careful in terms of what types of, uh, of companies that you're investing in. But because we're focused on income, Jordan, then, then by, by looking at those individual bonds, then, um, then we can predict what income is going to be. Now, here's the, the flip side of that. Most advisors and, um, and, and folks who are in this industry, even individual investors, uh, were taught that if we want to be conservative, well, we can invest in bond funds. The problem with bond funds is that you both of those important characteristics that I just mentioned, that being you know your interest uh, predictable interest and maturity date, getting your principal back, both of those uh, guarantees are off the table. With a bond fund, you're really subject to the ebbs and flows of a fund manager who's buying and selling all the time. And if um, if if the the there's a tremendous amount of pull on capital from the bond fund, well then you could experience real principal losses and you think that you're safe it, it really just means that you know if you see if you're invested in bond funds what that means is that if the market drops by say 40 percent then maybe you'll only lose 30 percent or 25 percent the fact of the matter is you still lose and if you're not in a situation where you can hold on well then that can be devastating to your retirement and that's a, a perfect example of of a strategy that's in conflict with somebody's goals, having a false sense of security that my uh, my bond funds are my safety net, and that's and, not necessarily- as far as individual bonds do, like corporates or municipals or governments, and what kind of maturities and what kind of risk levels are you going to do? Junk bonds or no, high no, quality? We, what, give me a sense of your kind yeah, of bond. Sure. We we try to we stay away from junk bonds. I mean, it's easy to to tell somebody, hey, we can get you a seven percent yield on a bond. Um, but the problem is you don't have the confidence. That's still performance-based. That's the advisor that's just trying to say, you know, they want the, the client to be happy with a high rate of return. Uh, but, but, you know, we, we, look at, um, we look at investment-grade corporate bonds, for example, or, or maybe a step or two outside of investment-grade where you're, you're, you're not that far out of investment-grade. In some cases, we do look at non-rated, um, non-rated companies, and that's on an industry by industry basis, it's on a company by company basis. We'll look at non-rated bonds because uh, you know there's a lot of cost that goes into these rating agencies and some smaller companies that are very solid in their cash flow and uh, and their balance sheet just don't incur the additional expense. So generally, it's investment grade and uh, maybe a notch or two outside of investment grade. And we also do look at certain types of non-rated companies. 
Okay, so you like individual bonds. Yep. What are some other uh, techniques you would use for income? Preferred stocks, REITs, what are some of the other things you look at? Yeah, you know, um, and, and just one more comment on the bonds. You asked about durations. I mean, it really depends on the needs of the client. Uh, I mentioned that our goal is to, to uh, and this is pretty much with uh, any of those situations, is our expectation is that we're going to hold the bond to maturity. Um, but uh, the, the general ranges are anywhere from 5 to maybe 15 years in terms of duration. Uh, and, and really all that means is that, you know, you get interest and dividend. You get the interest all along the way. If you want to get principal out, you may be subject to a market gain or a market loss. It just depends on where the bond is. And what is the minimum on individual bonds again? What is the minimum that you'll well, invest to get a decent price? Well, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, there are a couple of different ways that you can look at, um, at bonds. You know, a traditional bond, they're, they're sold in increments of $1,000 generally. Um, what I tell people is that if you're not going to allocate at least 50000 to to a bond portfolio, it's really hard to get the pricing and hard to get a, a good allocation. The, yeah. so, so that's really a minimum uh, that we would manage in a portfolio of bonds uh, as an allocation. So that's a, that's a really good question. But generally, they're $1,000 increments. Um, there are some other products that you, know, you asked about preferred stocks, which I'll get into in just a second. But there's, there's some other things that are they're, they're affectionately known as baby bonds that are sold in smaller increments. Um, you know, twenty-five or fifty dollars per share, but those are um, a little bit more volatile as well. Okay, so you mentioned preferreds. That's another area you like. What kind of yields can people expect with preferreds these days? With investment grade preferreds, um, and and again, same thing, a little bit, at maybe a, a step or two outside of investment grade. Uh, preferreds are in the five to seven percent dividend range. Uh, so, so those are good quality type of uh, of a return. And depending on how you buy, you uh, you can certainly get a little bit of upside. But we don't typically invest in a preferred stock for capital gains. In fact, I tell my clients when we're talking about an allocation in preferred stocks, Jordan, I tell them that we don't buy a preferred stock at $25 a share, which tends to be the par value of, the, of most of the ones we purchase, with the expectation that it's going to go to 50 we buy the preferred stock because it has a, a reasonable dividend. That's five to seven percent, um, and so, you know sometimes a little lower, sometimes a little higher. But you have predictable income from a uh, a preferred stock with the right characteristics in a very similar fashion as you would with a bond with um, not that much more risk. And so that gives us a, a good amount of visibility into. Um, in, in, for a client who's looking for a little bit more income boost, but uh, but isn't maybe isn't as comfortable with taking a twelve a, a year bond or a and, and you've not, got liquidity that way you can sell the preferred anytime you like. Yeah, because all the preferreds that we look at are exchange traded, so they're they're out on the New York Stock Exchange or the Nasdaq or something like that. So there there's generally a, a much more much more of a liquid market. What would be a name or two of uh, companies that would be issuing preferreds you would like? Well, there's there's um, there are several different industries and several different companies. Um, you know, some that your listeners may be familiar with. Well, eBay is one. So they're a technology company, obviously that uh, that has a preferred stock. That one's about six percent uh, is the dividend on that one. Uh, other technology, I've got you know Quest Corporation, which is a huge telecommunications company, and and then some other companies people might be familiar with. Pitney Bowes is a big one as well, and public storage, for example. All of those are in that range that I told you about. They may have multiple issues of preferred stocks. Um, and, and the characteristics are key, though. I mean, a lot of folks could just say, hey, well, you know, I can go out and pick some preferred stocks. Well, not so fast. You really need to know what you're doing when you select any of these fixed income types of securities. I wouldn't. It's one of those things where it's like, don't try this at home. You need to make yeah. sure that you understand and you have somebody that's helping you because you can purchase a preferred stock that doesn't have the right characteristics and all of a sudden you're stuck and you've got a real problem. Yeah. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Michael Easton. He's president at Fellowship Financial Group based in Altamont Springs, Florida. The website you can find out more about him is fellowshipia.com. We'll be back after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. 
Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Michael Easton. He's the president of Fellowship Financial Group, which is based in Altamont Springs, Florida. His website to find out more about him is fellowshipia.com. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Great to be back. Thanks so again. We talked about income alternatives. We talked about individual bonds. We talked about preferreds. Another area you like are REITs, real estate investment trusts. What do you like about those and what would be some of your favorites? Well, some um, re- the, well, one of the things I like about REITs is just that is is the characteristic of the company itself, uh, the 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 type of company that um, that calls itself a REIT has to pay out at least ninety percent of their uh, net profit in the form of dividends to investors. So that ensures that as long as the the REIT is profitable, that uh, there's going to be a, a nice dividend that's paid out, and the benefit for them doing that is that they don't pay any corporate income tax. And, and a REIT is really just a company that invests in income generating properties generally. Now recently I've seen a couple where they're actually investing in land, farmland for example, that's being leased on a long term basis to um, industrial farmers or things like that. But, um, but generally it's, it's production real estate. And it could be a, there's a variety of of REITs that exist out there. I mean, there are some REITs that invest in senior assisted living facilities. There are some that are in hospitality, like resorts and hotels. There are others that um, that invest in technology, like data centers and things like that. And then you know, there's uh, so those things are, are. I think people generally, when they hear about REITs or real estate, then they th- they think about okay, they're buying houses, and that's generally not the case. There are very few REITs that just invest in houses. And then and there, there's some other REITs that, um, that purchase buildings and lease them on a long-term basis to government agencies. And, um, and those are... You've mentioned a bunch of different types. What would be, say, one or two of your favorite REITs in, in the categories you just mentioned? Just one or two overall. Sure. Digital Realty is one that's a very strong, they're a global... Uh, player in the in the technology data center place. They're one of the, the biggest um, companies there, mm-hmm. uh, and they've got several several different issues, both of preferred stocks and also you know their their real estate investment trust. You can dir- invest directly in them. Um, Gov 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 um, is a is actually a government REIT. They purchase government properties. Yeah, uh, so those are those are two real strong ones. And then very good. All right, I just want to go to another topic where we have some time, which is BDCs, which is Business Development Corporations. Uh-huh. Maybe talk about how those work and maybe what, what one or two of your favorites would be in those categories for income. Sure. Um, well, a BDC is a unique type of entity. The structure is similar uh, to a REIT in that in order to qualify as a REIT, you ha- I mean as a BDC, a business development company, that's what that acronym is. Uh, you have to again pay out at least ninety percent of your net profit in the form of uh, of dividends to the investors. 
and um, and BDCs act in a unique fashion. What what they do is they give typical everyday investors uh, certain types of BDCs, of course, give everyday investors access to um, private companies because BDCs are middle market lenders. Jordan, they don't. If you think about the the um, lending spectrum, you have small companies that can borrow at community banks or regional banks, and you have much larger companies that do corporate bond issues and public um, public issues, and then you have this huge middle market that is too big for community banks but not quite big enough for the, uh, the bond market. Well, they go to BDCs. They go to business development companies who actually write loans to these non-public U.S.-based corporations, and, and so they... They're, they're loaning money. Many times it's uh, on a secured basis, so they're, they're collateralized loans. And, um, and there's a, a nice income stream. I mean, there are BDCs will generally pay the good ones. And again, there's a whole spectrum of BDCs, but there are a handful that, um, that we invest in. Uh, but BDCs can pay anywhere from you know six, low sixes to nine or ten percent, which again, in today's environment, is a phenomenal cash dividend. So what would be the name of, just say, two BDCs that you would like now? Yeah, Franklin Square is a big one. They're, um, they have both a public and a private BDC and a couple of different flavors of them. Uh, so they're out of Philadelphia, a very solid company. They have a great uh, investment partner as well, so the deal flow is pretty strong. And then Main Street Capital is another one that is one of the large, again, both of those are very large BDC is well known in that um, in that spectrum, and uh, and they're very well managed. They're they're solid companies. They have uh, investment portfolios that are you know, maybe ninety to a hundred different companies. So the the nice thing about that is that you know, even if you have a blip on the screen, maybe you have one or two companies that go bad, then you still you don't really feel that difference. Because that's so diversified, you're saying. Yes. Very diversified, yeah. Very good. All right, so we've got, talked about individual bonds, we've talked about preferreds, REITs, BDCs. Now, overall, what do you think is going to be happening with interest rates? Because if interest rates were to go up, that would hurt these kind of four things we just talked about. But what is your view on interest rates going well, they, could, they could hurt some of them. You have to realize you have BDCs, for example, most of them invest, they, when, they, when they loan money to companies, well, they, they loan on a variable basis. So they, they're, that's not as interest rate sensitive. So you do have some upside there. Uh, but yeah, my sense generally is that we're not going to see interest rates go up for quite some time. I feel like uh, you, you look at the, the the market in today's environment. Yes, you saw the Federal Reserve increase the Fed funds rate back in December. I think that was more of a kowtow to Wall Street than anything else. It wasn't really um, because of anything significant that they saw in the economy. Uh, but because you've seen just in, in the eight months that we've been in 2016, they're very tepid on making inter- on making any change in interest rates. And I think people get stuck in the in the thought that well, interest rates are at all time low. They're not gonna they're not gonna stay low very much longer. They have to go up. Well, that's not necessarily the case. If you study uh, economic history, you realize that countries like Japan, for example, they've been in a zero rate interest rate environment for nearly 25 years. And so I could our rates go even lower, or possibly go negative, as they are in many parts of the world today. Yeah, I think it's. I think anything's possible. I really do. You see a demand right now, economically on a global basis, Jordan. Where the United States is the the cleanest, dirty shirt in the laundry basket uh, when it comes to economies. So there's a flight to safety. People, we saw that when uh, when we had that the Brexit just a couple of months ago, where people flooded money flooded out of. Um, European Union and, and came into the U.S. and we saw Treasuries uh, drop. We saw the the rates on Treasuries drop. So um, you know the flight to safety could have a, a negative impact on interest rates. So it's in kind general, of a scary thing. In general, the stock market's been doing pretty well. Are you concerned it's getting too high that you want to take money off the table? Like we've talked mostly about income and, and bond kind of things. What, what is your view overall of the stock market these days? Yeah, that's a great question. My my overall view is that the market is it's topped out. I mean, yes, there's some just sheer momentum could push it up a little bit higher, but you have to think about what is the risk of doing that. I've done a lot of study of um, of economic history and stock market history, and one of the things that I've discovered is that 
you know, the stock market goes through these what's, what are what economists refer to as secular bear markets and secular bull markets. They're long-term bears and bulls, and we're in, we're in the throes of one of those right now. Uh, which means that generally they la- they can last around 20 years or so. We're maybe 16 years into it um, because the tech bubble was really the beginning of the current bear market. We've had upswings and downswings uh, over the last 15 years. And where we are right now is the market has recovered from 2009 in the, in the, in the trough. It's up by, you know, uh, what, 160 or 170 percent from where it was in 2009. So you have to ask yourself – is this a permanent recovery or is it more of an artificial government-induced recovery that is not likely to sustain? Well, when you, when you peel back the layers of the onion, to me, it's not a sustainable recovery because there's not a whole lot of substance. We don't see any real growth in corporations from a top-line standpoint, and that's what concerns me the most. So I look at… saying it's a liquidity-driven rally, not earnings-driven, is what you're saying. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's, certainly, um, it's certainly based on expectations. And also think about this. The market is, has done extremely well since 2009, and part of the reason you have short-term, you have rates that are so low, you've got the Federal Reserve is, you know, dipping their toes into stock market manipulation. As far as I'm concerned, they're trying to push people up the risk curve to take more risk, and the people that are going to get hurt by that, it's kind of like musical chairs when you were a kid. Somebody, you know, the, somebody's going to get stuck without a chair when the music stops, and when you think about you versus the institutional investors who right now are operating with their with one finger on the trigger who's going to lose that battle it's not going to be the institutions it's going to be the individuals and that's what happened in 2000 to 2003 we saw it happen in 07 and 09 to 09 as well and i like to tell people pigs get fed and hogs get slaughtered it's a great time to take some of the recoveries or gains that you've received over the last 5 6 years off the table and maybe realign your strategy a little bit more conservatively, and that's what we can help folks do. Particularly if you're a client, you're saying, who are entering or in retirement, who yeah. don't have time to recover if the market were to fall, the income-oriented strategies you've talked about are the most appropriate, is what you're saying. Well, that's part of what I'm saying, but in, in reality, I mean, you have to ask yourself, you know, I have some younger clients, too, that just don't like the what they see in the stock market. They don't like what they read about in in financial news, and so they're more conservative by nature, and at least they, they, they kind of take heed of the um, you know the the generation before the baby boomers, you know the, those that lived through the Great Depression and understand what it's like to save, how difficult it can be to save a dime. Um, they're more conservative, and so they want to protect what they have. So those folks as well. That's why a lot of business owners. I mean, I do a lot of work with business owners as clients because I find Jordan that. That business owners are great. They're happy to take risk in the area that they know well, but they work hard for their money, and they don't want to lose it to something they have absolutely no control over. And the the stock market right now doesn't make a whole lot of sense where it is. Yeah, very good. Well, terrific. This has been very helpful. My guest this half hour has been Michael Easton. He's the president at Fellowship Financial Group based in Altamont Springs, Florida. You can find out more about him at his website, which is fellowshipia.com. Thanks so much for being a guest a guest on The Money Answer Show, Michael. Great to be here, Jordan. Thanks a lot. Thanks again. And after the break, we'll come back with our next guest, Brad Williams. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. 
the bottom line in business talk. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, uh, your host. Uh, My guest in this half hour is Brad Williams. He's the president of Brad Williams Financial Services based in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Brad. Good morning. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Let's just start with your background a little bit and uh, the, the kind of services you offer in your financial services firm. Well, I, I've uh, been an independent for about 16 years now. I've been in the business since 1987. Uh, my uh, practice focuses primarily on the needs of, of pre-retirees and post-retirees. Uh, really, my average client is probably about, uh, about 60. And uh, uh, income planning, uh, retirement planning, investment planning, uh, that type of thing, Help, helping my uh, helping my clients have a uh, a smooth retirement. That's my goal. And your website is askbradwilliams.com. What can they find at that website? Well, that that's my basic information. You know, you can sign up for a newsletter. You can find out some of the things that I do for my clients, and and basically get all kinds of financial information. It's a it's my hub for uh, uh, educating my clients. So on your website, one of the things you said is that nearly half, about 47% of those on the verge of retirement are predicted to run out of money in retirement. Is that the biggest uh, concern you hear about your, from your clients? Yeah, that is, that is the number one concern is, is running out of money. Um, in, in the low environment, low interest rate environment that we're in, uh, making sure that, uh, that they're allocated properly to, uh, to cover their income needs uh, you know, all through retirement. So say you have somebody coming to you with a certain amount of money, they're worried about running out of money in retirement, what kind of advice, what is the process you take them through so they can become confident they're going to have enough to live through their retirement comfortably? Well, I, I, uh, I talk to my clients like I'm their financial GPS, and, and so before you know where you're going, you've got to know where you are. The first thing we do is do a snapshot, and I use a, a software system that helps me gather all the assets, determine... Uh, uh, average rates of returns and their guaranteed income sources. I look at their Social Security. If they have not claimed it yet, we do some strategies through a software program I use there to maximize their Social Security benefits. And then we look at how to maximize their uh, their retirement and income benefits and uh, put it all together. And And then it's a matter of monitoring it on a regular basis. You know, uh, you you want to get a review. I review with my clients at least once a year, oftentimes more, depending on the circumstances, and just make sure that they're uh, that they're staying on course. Because you know, when you're off course a little, it just requires uh, subtle course collection. When you're off course quite a bit, you know that's that's when it gets tough. So probably one of the biggest problems they have today is if they leave their money in the bank, CDs, money market funds, savings accounts, they're going to earn zero pretty much. Uh, pretty so they much. Want- higher yields without taking a lot of principal risk. What are some of the things that you recommend to them if that's their situation? They've got some capital, they're very risk-averse, but they can't earn nothing on their money in the bank. Well, I'm, I'm focused in this, in this day and age. I know the stock market is you know, in the news for being at peaks, but that's usually a danger signal is when, uh, when it's at peaks. And, and I'm, I, I focus with those clients mainly on income-producing uh, investments, um, you know, preferred stocks, bonds, um, annuities, things like that, that, that we can structure some guaranteed income. We know they're not going to outlive. And, and, and then other income that, you know, the addition to whatever their Social Security, their pension, their annuity benefits, um, and really put it together as a, as a diversified package. So let's take a look at some of those. You mentioned annuities. Uh, do you like fixed annuities or variable annuities? And what are some of the things you look for? And when is an annuity appropriate uh, for one of your clients? Well, uh, annuities uh, are not appropriate for all clients, and, and I, I use, you know, all types, uh, fixed, indexed annuities, variable annuities, depends on the, on the circumstance and the risk tolerance and the goals of, of what my clients want. Uh, you know, there are income riders, which are uh, uh, things you can add on to annuity to guarantee a certain amount of income at a certain point in time. Those are appropriate for some, um, and 
then look at preferred stocks um, and and bonds, um, and uh, and really you know just put it all together. It's no no one tool solves any problem. You've got to have a combination. So let's talk about preferred stocks a little bit. So what are the advantages and disadvantages of preferreds, and what are some of the industries that you like preferred stocks in? Um, well, uh, you know, I, I, I look at, uh, at several different industries. Uh, the, the advantages of preferred stocks is, you know, they pay a good dividend. And um, um, in this environment, that's, that's important. Uh, there are price fluctuations, although they tend not to be as great as common stocks. Um, but they, they do have some, so, you know, people need to be aware to, of that. You know, they, they are callable, so, you know, you could be adjusted to a nice income and you need to be ready if that, if that income stops because they decide to call the, call the preferred back. Um, and I look at, uh, energy. I look at, uh, you know, uh, um, telecom, you know, things like that and, and staples, you know, not staples to store, but, you know, things that are industries that are going to be used uh, that have a good business flow in in spite of any of the economy, you know, whether it's good or bad, things that people buy all the time. So, you know, you got to look at the quality, whatever the preferred is, if, if preferred, you know, uh, is something that's, that's appropriate for you. You know, it's always appropriate. I mean, you, you know, don't go running out and buying preferreds just because you heard me say it. That's something you need to discuss yeah. with a so the there, there are advisor. higher quality and lower quality preferreds, and you stick with the higher quality. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I, I, I look for my clients come to me and they want stability. They want consistency, and I, I try to do that as best I can. And you know, try not to. You know, it's it to me the analogies I've always used was uh, was baseball. You know, I'd rather get consistent base hits than try to hit the home runs. I mean, because when you look at consistent base hits. Then you're moving around the bases. You know, when you go to go to try to hit the home run all the time, there's a common characteristic shared by home run hitters, and that's they're usually strikeout kings, and so that's not consistent. So that's yeah. that's kind of my philosophy in that area. So, in addition to annuities and preferred stocks, you mentioned stocks in general. What kind of stocks? Uh, high dividend paying stocks. What industries that you would like for people to get income in this environment? Well. Uh, you know, good solid blue chips are, are usually, you know, one of the best places to be. Um, and, and again, that depends on what their what their risk tolerance is, where where we are in the in the risk uh, uh, structure as far as whether we're looking for safe, moderate, or growth in in income. Um, so, I, again, it's, you look around and see. I think uh, uh, one of the, one of the best ways to do it is is look at what people are buying. What are people doing? You know, those are the stocks you may want to be looking at. Is uh, is you know what clothes the kids are wearing, what uh, what cars are driving, what uh, you know what what are they using, and what what seems to be the trend in the future, and and use that as a as a barometer of what what investments you might want to look at. So, what would be some examples? What are people doing, as you put it, that make for good investment opportunities in stocks at current levels? Uh, well, you know, uh, uh, again, I, I hate to put something out there just. For general knowledge, because it's all it's all based on an, a you know uh, an individual's needs, but uh, um, preferreds in the uh, in the Verizon's done well. That's a good example. You know they got a great market share, and uh, and they pay a good dividend. Um, looking at uh, at specifics, and you know a lot of people do or do it yourselfers. So. Uh, you know, um, you may want to look at Black & Decker or something like that. It pays mm-hmm. a good dividend. You know, just looking around and going to Lowe's and seeing what's selling and, and then looking at it from there. Or, you know, getting with a financial advisor who can sort through all that stuff and, and help you uh, put together, uh, a, you know, the appropriate por- portfolio for you because that, that's different for everybody. In general, do you think the stock market is high or uh, modestly valued, undervalued? Where, where do you think we stand in the overall stock market cycle right now? Well, you know, uh, I think the closest thing to a crystal ball I have is the, is the globe on my chest. It's glass. But, you know, to me right now, um, we're in that, I feel like we're in that 2007 place where, you know, we've had a good run. It's It's been largely due to, uh, 
um, no interest rates. I mean, people are flooding to uh, risk to get yields when they wouldn't have before. I mean, you you know, in, back in 2006, 2007, you could, you know, um, a retiree who was looking for safety and consistency could still get a 5% five-year CD at the bank. Well, you can't do that anymore. So a lot of people are chasing chasing risk to get yield, and that's driving the market up. And, uh, and you know, there's a lot of stock buybacks going on. And without getting deep into that, there, there's a lot of upward pressure on the market that's all related to low interest rates and, and easy money, and, and that easy money is not going to last. So what, what happens when rates start rising and, and easy money becomes harder to get money to the stock market? Well, then you're going to start seeing money, you know, flood out of the stock market, and, and that's when that downward pressure starts. Because if, if, you know, if you make a 3.5%, CD available to a, to a retiree again, he's probably going to opt to sell his shares and go into that, most likely. And, and you know, that selling pressure is, is going to, you know, pop that bubble. So is and that imminent? Several things. Is that turning point imminent, or is that several years from now, you think? You know, it's probably going to be several years from now. Uh, the Federal Reserve just kind of backed themselves in a the corner. They, they, uh, uh, they've got rates so low that it's it's going to be tough for them to rot to, to let them rise. They're they're really going to need to. I mean, you you can't have a healthy economy when you're running with a you know 1.5 or 1.6 percent ten year treasury. That, yeah. You know what the government's telling people is go spend your money or put it in the stock market. Surely don't save it. And a solid savings. Economy is 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 a sound economy. When you got good good savings habits, you've got a sound economy. When you got nothing but spending and risk taking, then you're you know you're walking on thin ice. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Brad Williams. He's the president of Brad Williams Financial Services, based in Huntsville, Alabama. You can find out more about him and his services at Brad, askbradwilliams.com. We'll be back after this. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Brad Williams. He's the president at Brad Williams Financial Services, uh, based in Huntsville, Alabama. His website, askbradwilliams.com. Welcome back to the show, Brad. Thank you. So we talked about preferred stocks. We talked about annuities. We talked about uh, kind of high-yielding stocks, the bond market. But one area you really specialize in is Social Security um, and, and how to get the best benefits. Before we get to some specifics, what is your outlook for the Social Security system? Some people say it's on the verge of disaster. Some people say it's going to last forever. What is your uh, uh, perspective on the health of the Social Security system? Well, I mean, change is going to have to be made. Retirement age is going to have to be raised. Um, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're already talking about um, raising the, uh, uh, the maximum income for, for Social Security uh, way up there. And that's, you know, that's one way to make it solvent. Um, 
but it's it needs some changes because uh, they can't hardly just stop it, or else they'd have a revolution. There's so many people that have come to depend on that that uh, uh, there'd be chaos if they just said, you know, hey, we're we're done. Um, you know, but there's a there's a lot of things they're looking at. Like I said, uh, raising the age, raising the full retirement age, um, and bracketing up the uh, maximums that they're going to take it out of. So I agree with you, but what if politically that doesn't happen and nothing does change and the retirement age stays where it is and the tax amount stays where it goes up a little bit every year but basically stays where it is? When do you start running into trouble in Social Security if you do not change it? You know, from what I've read, uh, somewhere around 2030, 2035, that's when it starts getting real dicey uh, without any changes made. And, you know, I'm I'm 59 years old. It used to be uh, uh, 12 or 13 years seemed a long time, but it's not so long anymore. So that could come around the corner quicker than we expect. So, but, so what uh, does that actually mean, that they're having to borrow, or they literally want to have the money to pay claims, or what would happen around 2030? Well, uh, you know, uh, if they act with the same irresponsibility they act now in Congress, they probably just borrow the money. But there does come a time when your creditor says, you know, you've overextended yourself, and we're not going to do that anymore, so... Um, you know, there's a, there's a day of reckoning one way or the other, but you know, they're probably, you know, as, as Congress does, they're probably going to want to borrow their way out of it first, but you know, that's not going to be the long-term solution. So for somebody hearing that, what role should social security play in your retirement income? Should it be considered like a third of your income? Because a lot of people, it's the majority of their income. What realistically should people expect social security to play a role in their retirement uh, portfolio? You know, just in my experience, when when I'm working with clients and we and and we're looking at a plan that that really looks like it's going to to be a good one for them, it's thirty to forty percent, no more. If your Social Security uh, uh, check is going to represent much more than that, then while you're working, you need to up your savings because uh, uh, if problems do come down the line with changes in benefits or or retirement age or you know, um, you know the ability to continue to work afterwards. You're going to have issues, which is a lot of people. True. I mean, last I heard, something like forty percent of the people receiving Social Security is their only source of income. It's a hundred percent of their income in many cases. Yes, that's exactly right. And it was never intended to be that. It was intended to be a supplement to make sure people are not in the poorhouse. But yes, you know, they've enriched the benefits over the years, and and uh, you know, made it fairly rich for some people to take it and. You know, that's what they've relied on. They haven't saved. So how do you help people figure out when the correct time to start Social Security is? They can start at 62, full retirement age is like 66. At 70, you get the full benefit. How do you help people decide when the best time is to start taking Social Security? Well, one thing is with, by looking at the whole picture, by taking, by, you know, using the, the uh, planning software that I use, we can plot out what their income needs are in any given year. And... Um, and then we can use that tool to help decide when Social Security best fits. You know, the, the thing about Social Security is if you wait till full retirement age, you're going to get the maximum benefit, you know, the base benefit. But if you're able to wait um, till you're 70, uh, then you get the 8% deferred retirement credit. And so if you can wait till 70, then you're getting the maximum amount of benefit because where today can you get an annuity like that that's going to have a cost of living increase. And, you know, that's a valuable income tool. And so it might be that uh, to, to get you to be able to boost your Social Security income is we might strategize to take some money out of your retirement accounts during the early years of your retirement uh, for tax reasons and then, then uh, defer your Social Security and then at 70 when you've got the maximum then we cut on the Social Security and back off on the on the uh, IRA distribution. So there's, yeah. you know, not, all that varies by the individual, but that's one strategy I've used on numerous occasions to help people maximize that benefit. Yet I hear that only 2% of the people eligible for Social Security actually wait till age 70 to start taking it. it I, would, I would think that's probably about right, yeah. As far as getting your spouse's Social Security payments, what are some tips... Uh, to do that, if, if you were married, or the spouse died, or what, what are some of the tips around getting a spouse's Social Security benefits? Well, if your if your benefits less than you know when you get to full retirement age or 
uh, even early retirement. Um, if your benefit is less than than half of what your spouse's is, it's best to take your spouse. Now, a lot of people don't realize that you, you know you can claim your ben- the benefit of a divorced spouse, um, and that's some money that gets left on the table often because they don't realize that. So when you're um, you know, as long as you're both, as long as you're at retirement age and you've been married 10 years or longer and you haven't gotten remarried, you could possibly make a claim based on your spouse's Social Security benefit and not your own. Do you, and, find, uh, do you find dealing with the Social Security Administration that they understand their own rules and are accurate in the way they do this, or do you have to kind of advocate for your clients to get them the best deal? Well, people got to remember when they call Social Security Social Security cannot make a recommendation to them. If they ask them a question, they will answer it. And the feedback I've gotten from my clients as they deal with Social Security is fairly positive, uh, that the people are helpful um, and, you know, attentive. Uh, So that's good. You know, you don't always hear that about a government agency. But they really cannot make a recommendation. You know, they can confirm things for you, but that's about it. So, you know, one of the first things I do when I start working with a client and we're going through that process is I get them to, to go to ssa.gov, set up their account so they can access their Social Security benefits at any time. And there's a couple good reasons for that. First off, you know, they can pull it up and, and know what their benefits are. And second, um, they need to be checking their income statements to make sure they match their tax return because, you know, there have been occasions where, you know, it didn't get reported right and that's going to affect their Social Security benefit. So uh, it's also another identity theft protection to make sure you're monitoring your own Social Security account. But they put, you know, what I ask is before they come in that time for that that session is they go to SSA.gov, they create their account, they pull their statements, they bring their statements in, and then we run them through the process of of our Social Security timing software that shows them all the options, and then we determine based on what their plan is showing so far what how best to plug that in. So the software you have is going to give them things that they're not going to get when dealing with Social Security directly as far as maximizing benefits. Is that what you're saying? Oh, with, yes, without a doubt, because it's, it's not going to be a you know, question-response thing. We're going to have all the data laid out there in front of them and show them in any given year what that means to them. Very good. Well, terrific. Well, my, my guest this hour has been, this half hour has been Brad Williams. He's the president of Brad Williams Financial Services based in Huntsville, Alabama. You can see he's a real expert on retirement planning and uh, income and Social Security. Uh, you can find out more about him at his website, which is askbradwilliams.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Brad. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks so much, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Bye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.